This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Welcome to this week's episode of Game Time Extra. A little bit of a different one. We've got unpopular opinions and talking points and a few other features all thrown into one pod. So sit back and enjoy the mind-numbing, rage-inducing opinions of Tom, Ryan and myself. I'd get really quiet, but I'll tell you something. Honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How wrong is the game? Well, it's your opinion, you know, again, it's a game of opinions, it's, and you've got a right to your opinion, but I've also got a right to my opinion. Ryan, Tom, as always, an angry one. I found one that I also wanted to put to you as like a not my one, as a just general discussion on the pod, which I found, but that can come for last. So who wants to kick us off this week? I'm happy to go first. I'm happy to go first, yeah. Uh, can I also make a point? I, I, I really like the jingle you made, Danny. Um, yeah. How many times does Harry Redknapp say the word opinion? <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's just discovered it as a word. <laughs> word of the day. Um, okay, so, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, really, I really struggle with this one because I think the way I'm, I am made as a person, I struggle to have any opinions that I don't think will, will please at least everyone. <laughs> so I, I, I came up with this one, and I, I, really, I have really tried to justify it. The 2010 South Africa World Cup was the worst World Cup ever. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I also, <laughs> I also agree with that. Oh, so annoying. But, uh... <laughs> So I'd like to qualify it because I know my dad will be listening to this and I know he will have me for this later in the week. <laughs> However, at the time, I thought it was the best thing ever because obviously we were all around 16 or 17 years of age yeah. and it was World Cup on. we just left school. I know I had it was just the summer when I was doing my GCSEs and I remember I finished school and then I just remember the whole summer just watching it. Yeah. So at the time, I was really buzzing for it. But in, on reflection, looking at the last two World Cups we've had, Brazil and Russia, it looks so shit. Like the level, the level of play, like the ball was terrible. Yeah, the grounds are half full. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was going to say South Africa didn't qualify from the group stages. Suarez, yeah. Suarez ruined the Ghana story, which was proving to potentially be exciting. Like yeah. you said, there was a shit ball. The constant sound of that fucking vuvu oh. zone. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That was an awful period of time. That yeah. was um, the final was bad. There was it was a it was a mm-hmm. the, um, yeah. there was loads of yellow cards and red cards. That was when um, was it Nigel De Jong <laughs> tried to kill oh, yeah. Xabi Alonso? <laughs> Studs tattoo on his chest. <laughs> and it was it was the middle of Spain's like boring reign, um, which I I look back on and I don't think it was that impressive. Yes, ticket. That, that's that's a better unpopular opinion. We've all agreed with you on that. I can, <laughs> I can have a bit of a beef with you on that because, but we'll save that for next week. Come back, come back. With that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, that was yeah. I think the, the empty stadiums is another thing. But overall, I'm disappointed. No one disagreed with it. No, I, I don't think like yeah. for World Cups I've seen, so that's 2002 onwards. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot disagree with you because 2002 was great because you got to get up really early and it was a bit of a novelty. And the football was quite good. England had a good team. 2006, that was a good tournament. Like I say, you had some really good 
games in that, um, especially like I say, the one stands out that Danny will probably pick up was Germany Italy semi final. Mm-hmm. Remember watching that? That was really sort of like tense and really interesting. Then 2014 was obviously fantastic, and then last uh, the summer just gone was really really good as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Yeah, Italy went out in the group stage, so I think I voided 2010 from my memory. <laughs> that was the only interesting bit. I found when it's a United yeah. Slovakia game, that yeah. was probably the best game of the tournament. I would argue. I remember watching that, thinking, "Here we go, the World Cup started now." It was like eleven days in. I was like, "Oh, it's going to go now," and it just got worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only good thing from that group was Fabio Cagliarella's goal against Slovakia. Is honestly my favourite moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Tom just seems to love to make people happy. So. <laughs> Ryan, are you, you going to piss us off? Um, this is more of a philosophical one, but I think it could be have a bit of a ramification for people. Maybe um, I'm hoping our age that might disagree with me. I think, even though I didn't vote for it myself, I believe that Brexit could be the best thing to happen to English football for the last 50 years. Ooh. Okay. And I would like to now um, demonstrate that in a series of essays that I've prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest, I was really scared when the only two things under unpopular opinions was Dick Cheney directly profiting from the invasion of Iraq and Brexit. (laughs) Yeah, we've got Do you know what? And I'm not trying to sit on the fence here. Can you give me more information? Because I don't know enough about what might happen with Brexit to say if this is a yes or a no from me. Okay. Well, this is just what I've like I said, I've been looking into this over the week because obviously it's coming up to the time before we leave the EU. And again, it's something personally I didn't vote for, but I know obviously the majority of people did, and that's how democracy works, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I believe I do. I do believe that it could be the best thing, and it could lead to England becoming an international. Um, superpower in the same way that Spain was in the disappointing reign, as Tom called it, um, in <laughs> 2008 to about 2012. Um, but the reason I think this is because we could use this to harness the sort of the English talent that is currently going abroad to play football. Look at Jaden Sancho, Reese Nelson, and Adam Ola-Lutman over the last three um, to four months playing in the Bundesliga, for example. There is some really good English players, and it's partly to do with the coaching of the sort of like the DNA, the England DNA project where they're trying to get everyone to play football from a younger age. But I feel like if we are out of the European Union um, rules in terms of employment, which is one of the things that held back the um, notorious six plus five rule from a couple of years ago, where you had to have a minimum of six homegrown players in the starting 11 of every game. Uh, it was actually tossed out about eight years ago because it um, contravened EU workers' rights laws and freedom of movement. I feel like if that was harnessed in Britain, uh, well, specifically England, you know what the Scots get the hang on though. Um, <laughs> specifically in England, it could to players like Jaden Sancho being exposed to top-level football at an even earlier age, and that would then lead to the national team's um, acceleration up the sort of rankings and even national tournament victories. And I, I firmly believe, it. looking through it now, I think this could be a, a, a viable thing if, obviously, it's played right. Because obviously with Brexit, a lot of it is theoretical still. But um, with uh, a background in um, business time, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. <laughs> um, so I, I I like the idea of um, 
yeah, I, th- I think there's a real there, there should be a real push with pushing young, talented English players into competitive leagues. Uh, be, be, and I think the the two the two comparisons are you have Jaden Sancho who was at City who decided I'm not going to get enough first team football immediately. I'll go to Dortmund, which I think is great. Versus Phil Foden, who I think probably may even be a technically more gifted player than Sancho, but has decided to stay at City. And as a result, I guess you're going to see maybe in five years' time how their careers pan out, what, what would be the better choice. But I agree. I mean, Eric Dyer at Sporting ha- had a great exposure when he was young. The, 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 only, the only thing I would say is we have a legacy, and maybe it's because of, uh, the sample size isn't big enough. The, the, the legacy of British players going abroad hasn't been good. Um, Steve McManaman, Michael Owen... Beckham, I think, actually had a particularly overrated career after leaving Man United. I don't know how effective he... You play for the best team in the world, you're going to be in the best team in the world. Do you know what I mean? It's not Jadon Sancho. It would be a lot more impressive if Jadon Sancho makes Dortmund the best team in the world. Um, Yeah, I'm a big advocate for getting young players to play in the lower leagues for for time uh, experience. Um, And... I wonder, I know that next season, is it, with the, the, the UEFA changes with um, what Chelsea can do with loanies? Is, is gonna, well, what all clubs can do with loanies. <laughs> you, can, you can only send six players out on loan. Um, I mean, Chelsea can be screwed. There's going to be a lot, of guys, a lot of guys cleaning boots next season. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I, the other bad thing about Brexit is you've got to think who is in charge of negotiating these rules. And do you really think the Tories have got uh, footballers uh, at the top of their priority? But uh, yeah, I, I, I like I like the idea of it. I, I really like the idea of being able to develop players in different leagues so that when they come together, we've got a, it's not just the best Premier League English players we can bring. It's, it's, a, it's a global aspect, but I, I've got a feeling it's, I, I've got a feeling nothing's going to change anyway. Uh, yeah, I, do, I do know what you mean. Like I said, with, um, with the idea of like loaning players out to lower league teams, I've always thought the benefit of that, as long as it doesn't get overdone, it's like if you do it for someone like um, Harry Kane or a lot of the a few of the Man United players like Danny Welbeck for example he was loaned out to Sunderland wasn't he for a yeah. bit and then mm. came and obviously Sunderland was still in the premiership but yeah it's, that's a, um, sort of like the same sort of similar thing yeah um, but yeah I do believe like I say if, if they bring in this like I say, obviously it's probably not high on the priority that's on a sort of finance <laughs> stuff but if they could if the FA could bring in the rule and say, right, you have to have six homegrown players. And by homegrown, we don't mean sign Rob Green on a free transfer. We mean <laughs> actually play Phil Foden, actually play Hudson Adoy, actually play Loftus Cheek over someone like Jorginho, who is a massively good player, or Kovacic, yeah. like signed on loan um, from Real Madrid. It's a very short term fix. Then you have players like Loftus Cheek not getting denied minutes, and you have, in theory, the chance for England to get one step ahead over other teams. Because I feel like a lot of teams now are doing a bit of rebuilding and a bit of restructuring in terms of after the World Cup, apart from France, maybe, obviously, who are very set up for the next decade. You've got Germany looking inward, thinking what went wrong. Spain is a little bit of a crossroads because of the new manager with Enrique. Um, and, and teams like that around the world, like even Brazil, like you think like... Um, well, their potential at the World Cup, really. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we could steal a march on these countries, and then like I say, it could lead to maybe from twenty twenty two or twenty six onwards. You could lead to this thing where we could be theoretically the best team in the world and the best prepared. And then, but obviously, like I say, it's all in theory. But I do that is the one thing I will 
agree that it could be a, a good thing out of all these negotiations and leaving the EU. I mean, we'll, we'll screw our own finances up. But if we get, <laughs> we get leather every two summers and watch them win tournaments, I'll probably take that as a net gain. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, I think I get your points. I don't know. I, I'm going to go the other way with it and say, I'm not saying if you limit the pool of players, because obviously homegrown players, if it's six and five, but if you limit that in a, almost an authoritarian way, saying like you have to play six homegrown players, mm-hmm. it could go positive that you get this influx of great young players. But then if you lose the core group, say all of a sudden this core group of young players that are supposed to be propelling into the first team just aren't good enough. Do you not devalue your entire league? There, yeah, there is an argument for that, but obviously, like I say, you look at the the, the, the sort of like the strength of the U- English youth um, national teams over the last couple of years, like winning all of these tournaments. We obviously have we've got something good going on. I just don't want to see it going to waste after the summer. And I feel yeah. like if you bring in this rule um, or a similar rule to it, where you are forcing the rather than the top teams to basically stockpile these youth players, because obviously after. Um, after it happens, probably the price of uh, English players might go up massively. So someone like Ross Barkley would cost double because they're English and they've got um, international caps, for example, and, and players. And it'll be harder to sign players from abroad. I feel like there is a market here to get these players, like you say, like Hudson Odoi. I know um, Tim's spoken about before on the podcast being a really quality player, but he's not getting minutes. And you mm. could you could then think, okay, well we'll give him a chance because he's already in the academy. He won't cost us anything. And then he can then thrive in the first team, in theory. And a lot of it is in theory, but mm. I, I do feel like it, if, it, if harnessed correctly, it could lead to some sort of like dynasty in the next decade or, two, or 15 years. And like I said, that will be a massive positive from what has at the minute been a very negative process. Fair shout. I like that. Politics. <laughs> I, 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 would add, I would just add on though that I think Danny's point about the overall league quality going down is a big is a big factor in it. Um, mm. If if you're forcing, well, if you're saying that there's six, yeah, there's a certain number of Eng- English players have to play. Um, that means you're taking spots away from signing big signings, which means the competitiveness of the league goes down, which means the level that the English players are playing at is lower. Um, yeah. And and I mean I guess there is there is a micro example because if you look at the Basque in terms of um, you'll know this better than I will, um, but the, the Basque team so Atletico Bilbao mm. they they only only play Basque players now they've limited their pool of players and you would therefore assume that they would have put a lot of development into developing Basque players. But have they got better as a team? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's, you can't compare it because they're competing in an environment where there's other teams that don't have the same restrictions as them. But then I guess you could say, well, if we're, if we're going to go on and compete in Europe and then obviously in the world, we would be a micro environment um, competing in a macro environment, which doesn't have the same limitations that we have. Um, yeah, that, that would be my, my counter argument. You could also... You could also say it's almost like Russia as well, because I think Russia have a homegrown rule where I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it is homegrown related. And it's not going to go to that stage because England have a much deeper pool, I think, than, than Russia. But yeah, like Tom said, you can get that idea where because you're being forced to play certain players, maybe the big teams who can all afford these star wonder kids, that'd be great. But for maybe lower teams that are getting promoted or maybe sort of like 
surviving in the Premier League, they're not going to be able to get top quality English yeah. players in. Imagine the money, the money market for teams like Brentford, who can, who, who seem to have good youth systems at the moment, where they could they could sell all their young English and or Welsh and Scottish talent for such a premium. Um, imagine how much Ampadu, oh, I know obviously different teams, but Ampadu would cost. And uh, I know uh, Chris Mepham, who's there at the moment, those players would be so, so expensive if, if you wanted to sign them and you were United or something. But like yeah. that, that's, when, that's where the academies then come and do all the yeah. work in theory, yeah. because then you have, like, say, teams like Brentford and even teams that don't have a notorious academy, you then come in and you think, okay, we now need to supply our own crop of players. Mm. So then we don't just farm them out on loan. We don't just sort of um, sell them for nominal fees or let them go into sort of like um, a, a poorer quality division. But yeah, like because obviously when you're talking about like sort of dilution of talent, we were thinking like if the Spurs team, if you implemented this rule now, you would probably have out of our foreign quota players, you probably have Lloris, maybe out of Road and Vertonghen, Ericsson, and then you've got probably Son or Mora, and then you've got. Sanchez, Miller, maybe Sanchez. Yeah, depending on the, what team if you're playing three at the back. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, but then the rest mm-hmm. of like, maybe again, this is me being biased because we're pretty much set up for this. We can play yeah. like Aaron Rose, Dyer, um, Harry Winks, <laughs> Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> then, um, but yeah, like, like I say, you, you do have, and you will find you will find in with anything with football, you'll find teams that adapt better than the teams that yeah. don't. Mm. But if it's for the overall greater good of the national team, I think that's a uh, positive. And that's a lot more thinking than I've had to do in a long time on this podcast, I'll be honest, right? Okay, so my one... I don't know how controversial my one is, to be honest. We're all too soft. Yeah, we really are. So, I've gone for... that. My unpopular opinion is that I've got no time for managers like Sam Allardyce or Roy Hodgson who have built their careers off being able to survive in the Premier League because that's the lowest a tribute a manager should have if they're managing a football team. They shouldn't set their optimum goal as just surviving in the Premier League. I've got a bit of an issue with this one. <laughs> yes, this is like the crossbar all over again. Not that much. I'm still not forgiving. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do agree. Like, Obviously, it's been talked about before, like foreign um, coaches, they, they find it baffling how English managers can build a reputation off being like a, a troubleshooting manager almost. And uh, I know, like, in Germany and Spain, this is, like, a weird phenomenon that only just happened in England. Um, but I do think there's a lot to be said for people like Roy Hodgson, especially the two people you said. Um, Allardyce, even though he's a bit of a, maybe a sort of footballing dinosaur now, some of the stuff he brought in when he was first a bomb was genuinely quite sort of, like, new and revolutionary, the idea of using, like, statistics and prozone and um, using, like, he had a, a bit of a background looking at American football when he was learning to be a coach and he played in America at Tampa Bay um, and he would watch the Tampa Bay team train and he took a lot of those ideas over to English football before even people like Wenger and uh, Mourinho were doing it from his Bolton team. Obviously, some bits, the football wasn't very nice to watch, but I think, and obviously, Roy Hodgson managing in about... A hundred different countries, whatever he's done. He's managing like Finland and Sweden and uh, Italy. He's the Swiss manager for a bit. And I feel like those, mm. you know, like I said, maybe towards the end of their careers, they developed a thing of like just getting people across the line. But I think those two examples are probably not the best examples. I think maybe you need to look uh, again at someone like Tony Pulis, who again was like revolutionary in his own way. And maybe someone like Mark Hughes that we talked about earlier, who's just like getting teams safe. But um, I feel like those two, they're, they're, 
I, I always feel a bit bad for people when they do criticise Allardyce to some extent. And I know the football isn't great and you can criticise him all you like for that, but I, I don't think you can criticise his methods. So if you sort of look into it before, um, before he sort of became like a big coach or like a big name in England with um, Bolton, he was putting a lot of hard work and he was genuinely sort of like bringing in some new stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, like I say, yeah, that, that idea is ludicrous, the fact that you can become a good manager because you keep teams up. It's it, But yeah, th- those two, I think they get a bit of slack and I don't think it's fair, personally. Fair. I think my my issue with with um, Sam Allardyce is the fact that he managed to take players like JJ Okocha, who was far, far better than most of the players on that team, and like Ivan Campo and, and Kevin Davis, not to some extent, but he was taking like, like Okocha was a great player. Yeah, he was a bit past, he was maybe 28, 29 when he was playing for Bolton, but he was a great player and he he was the only spark in that Bolton team that just could have played a lot better. And I think that's probably where my issue lies more. Like these managers have so much more that they can give, but I feel like they sometimes don't always fully go for it because they rather play it safe and just keep their team up than maybe try and do something a little bit more different. I'm still shocked that you've uh, you've uh, mentioned some Bolton legends and you failed to mention future EasyJet owner, owner Stelios Yanakopoulos. I was going to mention him, <laughs> but I couldn't pronounce his name. <laughs> um, I, I, so I, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there there is an amazing thing in England where I don't understand why there aren't more managers like Eddie Howe produced. Because so many teams play such attractive and free-flowing football in the championship. And then I think there is this mentality of we've got to shut up shop in the Premier League and just not get beat 6-0 every weekend. Obviously, that does help. Mm. Um, But if you look at teams like uh, players, um, managers like Marco Silva and stuff, I'm I'm surprised there isn't a a lot of generations with those type of of managers playing attacking football and being able to get at the bigger teams and try and get points. Uh, I, I also am so astonished that there are still managers that really only seem to appear at the international stage. I, in my opinion, I like Southgate and I, and I, I respect him a lot, but I think that in, international managers should be rewarded with the jobs because they are the best managers in the world. Um, mm. may, maybe a controversial opinion as well. I think you should only be able to manage the international team if you're from that nation. Ooh. Okay, interesting. I like that because you're only, I mean, you're only allowed to play for the team if you're from that nation. So why why is the rule that you can manage it? Because then you're sort of rewarding, the, I guess, the best one of the best managers at the time in who's English, who's Portuguese, who's French. Um, I wonder. I mean, also, I don't know off the top of my head what's the statistic of managers who manage international teams who aren't from that country. But I can't imagine Carlos Queiroz is from Iraq. <laughs> I, Iran, my mistake. Yeah, but no, um, yeah, that's like I say. That was one of the things you said about Roy Hodgson. Like, obviously, like I said, he was the Swiss manager yeah. for a, a period, and he had relative success with that. I mean, he took them up the world rankings. I think they were um, in the top, at least top ten, maybe even top five at one point in the mid nineties. Um, so, like I say, yeah, the, there is something to be said for that. But I think sort of maybe getting back to the the point about, like I say, about teams or players that just um, only seem to 
manager, sorry, that only seems to just be appointed as like a firefighter option. Yeah. Mm. I do I say that it is it is a, a risible thing in, in England the way that this is treated as like some sort of good job that people are doing. Yeah. Um incredibly short term thinking, but again I think that's that fits in with like the way that we play our football in terms of like say Sam Allardyce got sat from England, Southgate took over, even though he didn't really want the job, didn't think he was ready. Um and then obviously he's made a, a decent success of it at the minute considering the summer but yeah like I say his club career is very mediocre <laughs> there's nothing to be said about that but um, yeah I do I do think the idea like I say the, the people I've got more of an issue Danny that you've earmarked there I think um, maybe someone like um, Alan Kerbishley who's <laughs> with jobs even now <laughs> retired half halfway pretty much um, that is a that is a ridiculous thing but I do think yeah. those those two managers in particular will be looked upon hopefully when they've retired, hopefully in, in some sort of um, revolutionary way. So I do think that they, those two managers in particular, Allardyce and Honcham, were particularly very, of their time, they, they've brought in some things and they've done stuff in managerial uh, positions that people don't realise or maybe or not, it's not well known. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I just have a sore spot for Sam Allardyce because... <laughs> That whole, he's never been relegated from the Premier League. He just resigned before he get he got relegated. That doesn't count. Yeah, yeah look, by all means, have a go at the, the way they play the football. But I think the, the managers themselves are quite um, interested in their sort of stories and, mm. the, and the way they came to be and, and, the, and the, the things they brought into English football. But yeah, um, yeah, definitely have a go at the football by all means. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I've got one from the internet that I found and... We'll be quick on this one because I, I don't know how controversial it's going to be. But um, someone on Reddit, we need to go back, said, give Tony Pulis a budget and you've created Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty spot on. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> no, I, I do think he's too, he's too wedded to um, his principles. And he, I don't think he, out, of, out of spite, he wouldn't take a job at a big club because you couldn't get diamond-encrusted baseball caps. Too <laughs> 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 oh. blingy for his liking. Um, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I'd love to see it. Just, just Peter is <laughs> taking over. Fucking give it Man City. Just takes over Man City, gets 500 million, just signs Ryan Shutton over and over again. Long throws. <laughs> Pulis, Pulis could get given all the money in the world, but as soon as his team gets to 40 points, they're going to switch off straight away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I, I, think, um, I think probably there is a level of credit we do... I, there seems to be a thing with Mourinho where everyone sort of disregarded how good he used to be. Like his Chelsea teams were, were incredibly good, and however, however they were funded and all this type of thing, he he built a team that didn't concede a lot of goals. And he, I don't think he gets a lot of credit for his um, attacking play, but he didn't. He when he was at Real Madrid, he set the record for number of league goals in a season at 121. So he's he is a better manager than I think some people give him credit for because of where he is at the moment. I, I guess a quick question off of that, and maybe let's not go into this too much detail. Is Mourinho one of the greatest managers of all time? Let's say top 10. Yes. Top 10, yeah, because there's I, I can't name... I can name probably about four that I think were better than him, but I could not name nine. <laughs> so on that basis, <laughs> point of view, I would say yes, top 10. <laughs> 
if I, if, 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 we, if, if we're going to go down to five, so you think you think he'd still be top five? Uh, on reflection, no, I thought of a fifth. So no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Danny. Uh, I'd put him in the top ten, top five, maybe, maybe just outside, maybe six or seven. Okay. Actually, no, you wouldn't even get into my top ten. Actually, I'm just thinking of names, and it just names are just popping up every left, right, centre. No, he wouldn't get into top ten for me. That wraps up the unpopular opinions bit of this, and we're going to end it with a new feature called player affinities where i'm not sure we'll do this every week we might do this once every few weeks as new people like tim and alan jump in and out of the pod basically players that maybe they haven't played for your club but you just love them just random players that you have an affinity towards ryan do you want to kick us off on this one yes oh, thank you danny um i'm going to champion the cause this week for uh, certain leighton baines who is oh. obviously still repping at um well, he's in his 30s now, but obviously still at Everton. I feel like the, sort of my, the reason why I sort of really rate him as a player is the fact that he's just really good in dead ball situations. And I find that really appealing. Like the, I've always had a soft spot for sort of like goal-scoring fullbacks. So people like um, Roberto Carlos, for example, from a dead ball situation as well, especially like Leighton Baines. Um, even Kieran Trippier now is sort of getting up there. With that sort of just sort of thing, like you maybe don't expect it from them. And it's really mm. sort of like I just I just really enjoy all like sort of fullbacks that can really bombard and get forward and attack. So like Baines at, at his peak, he was probably the best fullback in the country at one point, even better than Ashley Cole. Even when Cole was still quite good and playing for Chelsea, I thought the way the what he brought to that Everton team, he was just consistent week in week out. He was getting assists. He was obviously like I say scoring penalties and free kicks where he could. And I remember there was a time when he scored one against Tottenham at White Hart Lane. I wasn't even too annoyed. I mean, he put us one down, but it was like, that's a bloody good goal. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's only about three times I've done that before. There was one time, which was his goal against us, Icardi's from about three weeks ago for Inter Milan. And then remember Samuel Umtiti scored a really good one when he was at Lyon at White Lane and everyone was clapping. And it was like, <laughs> that's mental. <laughs> because he was like unknown at this time before he went to Barca. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, I just thought, I've, I've just always thought he was really good. Uh, from his position and just really unheralded in that Everton team. Obviously, he had like Cahill and Fellaini, and I just thought he was just an excellent, dependable fullback for years, like at least three, four, five years. And um, also, it doesn't, doesn't um, take away the fact that he is also just seems to be a really cool bloke, which I really like. He's <laughs> <laughs> really cool. And um, yeah, yeah, my, my favourite, if you're going to push for a favourite moment, was his goal against Newcastle in 2013. He absolutely leathers a free kick and he mm. goes straight in past Tim Crawl, and it's, it's one of my favourite goals of all time. Do you know if he's single, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I have made inquiries onto that. Actually. <laughs> um, no, like I say, I just, I just, it's just one of the things like you just, it's, it's un, you can't really describe it why you have such an affinity for players when you've never, even, I saw him play for England, but it's not the same. And it was just one of the things where I've just got a lot of respect for him. He just seems like a model pro and a great guy. <laughs> and looks like he could be part of any band in history that had yeah. four English men in it. Cool bloke, that's what I mean. He's got it in him. Cool bloke, Leighton Baines. Tom, who have you got? So uh, I've chosen... My, my player is Troy Deeney. Um, okay. Uh, but I think it's more what Troy Deeney represents rather than specifically him as a person. I think his ability to um, 
ruffle feathers amongst elite Premier League defenders. <laughs> I, love it. I do love it. I've got to say, I do agree with you. I enjoy those type of players. He doesn't have the greatest of histories off the pitch. I think he still is a, a very grounded person. He does a lot of interviews on Football Focus about how his missus bosses him around and stuff, which I find humorous. But in, in the past, it's, it's, it's really just strikers who you just know have worked so hard to get into the position they, they're in. And it's, it's not none of these fancy boys from all across Italy and Spain and stuff who come over <laughs> straight, in, straight into Chelsea's first team. Specifically, Alvaro Morata there. But... <laughs> just, just call him out. He won't be listening. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, we had we had Bournemouth had a player called um, Jan Kermigan, who you're, I'm, I know you're both aware of. But I used to just love the effort he puts into a game and, and how he really seems to be either enjoying the game or incredibly pissed off if something's going against them. It just <laughs> it, it is it's quite a nice feeling. It's it's also one of the reasons. I think Jamie Vardy is a player who I, I think if he hadn't gone through the, the Fleetwood aspect of his career, starting in non-league and working his way up, I think he'd be really easy to think he's a dickhead. Yeah. But I like, the, I just like the, there is a number of players in the Premier League who have come from, I think, uh, Beanie used to play for Warsaw uh, and has, has come through that, those type of levels of football and worked his way up to the top level eventually. He's, he's their record goal, goal scorer now, isn't he, as well? So, yeah, Troy, Troy I'm a big fan of and I was, he has bossed Bournemouth around on many occasions before. So, <laughs> he, uh, I, 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 I have also seen a bad side of him, but no, he's, he, he's, he's my, uh, yeah, the player I have an affinity to. Big boy, Troy. Nice. Danny, what about you? So my one is Brian Ruiz, the <laughs> old Fulham player. And I tell you, I don't know why. I It was between him and Dimitar Berbatov, but I think Berbatov's too easy. Berbatov to doesn't count, so I play for United, mate, remember? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a player, a player who just definitely doesn't run anywhere. <laughs> but is absolutely quality on the ball. I remember when Brian Ruiz signed for Fulham and... I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. So, I, I, you know when they do on YouTube where they go like, oh, welcome to the club, Brian Ruiz. <laughs> and I'm not even shitting you. The first five goals of the compilation for the Fulham were all chips from like outside the area or from like really tight angles. And I was like, I love this man. <laughs> this... And then I watched, I watched him play in the Premier League and people were like, oh, shit, he does nothing. And I thought, no, nah, he's honestly one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. And from then on, I've just followed his career. And he scored against Italy for Costa Rica in the World Cup. I've never cheered a goal go in against <laughs> Italy ever in my life. But I did then. And I had to stop myself because I was around... I'm pretty sure that I was watching it with Ryan. I, yeah, I remember this vividly. You went up and then realised where you were. And, what you were. <laughs> and you were like, oh, I've got to scale this back now. <laughs> And, and that's the only moment in my entire life that I nearly celebrated someone scoring against my own team. But yeah, I've followed his career since then. And it's not gone great, to be honest. He, he's not done brilliant. He went to Sporting Lisbon. That was pretty much it. He's at Santos now. But yeah, I, I don't know what it is. He's just, it's that kind of, just doesn't really run around. But you know, if he gets the ball on the edge of the area, he's just going to do something special with it. Yeah, it's like, that sort of like lazy, like say with Berbatov, like it was lazy. Yeah. It looks like laziness, but it actually, when you, like if you have like, you know, sometimes you have those like player cams that used to be in fashion where you can just watch one player. If you look at like someone like Berbatov or Ruiz, 
um, especially like I say with Berbatov in uh, Washington Spurs, he he's so intelligent with the way he moves, but he just mm. does it very minimally. And like I say with Ryan Reese, like he would just move like two steps, whereas like other players would be running around like headless chicken. And he <laughs> stays there, and he, he by staying there, he just makes space. It's one of the yeah. things really hard to explain, but like like I say, he looks like a lazy bastard, but he's really. <laughs> Uh, it's a very intelligent way of playing football because you're using minimal effort to get maximum reward. And like I say, when we're watching like three or two or three years of watching Berbatov, you do appreciate it more. I mean, like you will tell him to run around because he's a lazy fucker at least 20 times a season. <laughs> but you know that when you're losing, you think, oh, you've got no chance here. He will pop up with a goal or like like a chip shot, like you said. about Yeah, he's definitely true. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do get where you're coming from. Right, so to finish <laughs> off the pod... A few talking points from this week. Has anyone got anything they want to talk about quickly before we finish? John Terry's made racism go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's officially cured. We have <laughs> things to worry about. It's, it's mental. Is it not mental he's getting linked with managerial jobs? He, he retired this weekend and there was a lot of outpouring of support for his, for his decision, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, everyone was saying what a career. Obviously, lots of players he played with for England, but also for Chelsea as well. But I think I feel like we've just neglected how he racially abused Anton Ferdinand, and he's now going to go on to probably numerous clubs and manage, I imagine, unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree. Like I say, the, I, I have um, a couple of Chelsea supporting friends that I've spoken to about this before, and um, I have respect for his achievements as a footballer but as a bloke he's an absolute wanker in terms of like, like I said he was up on I mean I don't know how it was ever um, not proven without reasonable doubt that he was racially abusive to and there's video evidence of this and um, everything like that and I just feel like that is not like I say being airbrushed away from it and it is important to have these conversations in the same way that um other players for their various misdemeanors, it needs to be brought to light that they have still done this. You can't yeah. just be retired. It doesn't mean that they get to a clean slate. In the same way that um, being a bit morbid, when someone would, uh, were to like if they, to pass away and like celebrity, um, a celebrity was to do that. If they've done some bad things in their life, it's okay to then bring that up. Just because they've died or they're not doing whatever they've done before, doesn't mean it can't be talked about. You can't just airbrush it just because it doesn't fit like the narrative of him being like a leader and a captain and like a, and everything like that because that was that is a horrible thing to do to anybody and it's like I say it does need to be brought to account. You can't just skip over it just because he's decided to stop kicking a football. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I mean it's, it, to add on to your point is it's almost a similar thing to be able to separate the art from the artist with what you do for music and what you do for films, especially with things like the Me Too movement, obviously people like Kevin Spacey, you can still appreciate his films and and people like Woody Allen as well have had accusations. You can still appreciate the films, but you have to separate it from the person. And, And maybe with John Terry, you could separate it when he was playing because he's still giving you value. But when there are many, many um, people out there who could be taking on managerial positions, and the whole point of a manager is being able to manage lots of people from lots of different diverse uh, backgrounds, it seems stupid to give it to a man. He was given a, a ban that was half as long as Suarez's at a similar time when he was racist. He got one week's wages, which I don't imagine is going to be um, too, too, well, I don't imagine it was too controversial at the time. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, 
I, I don't understand how he's even being linked with these jobs. Um, and I think really people need to really consider the, the back catalogue of what he's done in the past. Home wrecker, racist. And my favourite one is, I don't know if you've ever heard the story about if you were at Chelsea and you wanted to buy a Rolex, you weren't allowed to buy one yourself. You had to buy it through John Terry. Because <laughs> oh, f- <laughs> he, took, he, t- he took a commission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate him even more now. <laughs> oh. Oh, my, my talking point was uh, a lot less uh, spicy. It, it was just, did either of you see Swansea's goal against Ipswich? The absolute manic passing from inside their own six-yard box from their goalkeeper through about four different players before scoring. It was it was immense, like I say. And and one of my favourite things about this specific genre of goal is the fact that no Swansea fan can ever watch it again with the same happiness because they lost three two. So <laughs> like, it was an effort and, and against a very very average Ipswich side as well. So that, that, that goal is now tinged with sadness, and they can never be like, oh no. It's not <laughs> um, yeah, like, it was a very very well worked team goal. It was probably my favourite goal of the weekend bar maybe Sigurdsson's because I thought that was a really mm. good finish um, but yeah it was a very very good hit actually no Adam Reach as well scored another absolute banger in midweek oh, really good against West Brom and to follow the Leeds one as well yeah. Um, yeah but yeah yeah, they were that was a really really well worked team goal but like like I say about the Arsenal goal as well I'd probably say that if that doesn't win championship goal of the month I think the Arsenal one will probably win premiership goal of the month I think yeah. that, that doesn't win championship goal then I will be very surprised um, because John John McGinn's was last week, so it doesn't count. A week before, sorry. I verbally yelled at the TV whilst watching it, where I'm not sure what which defender it was that, whilst facing his own goal, decided to pass it to his goalkeeper whilst the striker was right there. But I yelled, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> before reining it back in when they went the length of the pitch and scored. I think there's a lot to be said about what they thought about the quality of that Ipswich side that they were dicking around in their own <laughs> six-year box. <laughs> uh, Ryan, do you want to finish finish this segment off? Yeah, I've got a really local one that no one else will know about unless you live in my town. But it was, it was, it was, it's really good. Okay, um, where I live, a town called Desborough. Uh, the next town along is Rothwell which is a team that my brother plays for. Their team is called Rothwell Corinthians. And um, it's sort of like Saturday league, he plays for the reserve team. Big derby day on Saturday at the ground, um, Rothwell against Desborough. And um, the referee decided he was going to make it all about himself. So um, apparently this is this old guy, um, sort of uh, you know, grey hair, glasses, came on the pitch in his uniform and then announced to both linesmen, I wasn't at the game because I was busy, announced to both linesmen that basically the referee, I will be only the one that's allowed to give offside. You allowed to give offside. If you do not whistle, then it is not going to count. Okay, so obviously this throws the game into absolute chaos because it's flagging. And then basically the rest just ignoring everyone and going, no, carry on, I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> because the, his reasoning apparently was because he didn't want both lines because the lines are provided by the club. And he didn't want any bias. He didn't want people cheating. So he thought he'd be a better judge 80 yards away because he was a <laughs> Scottish man. Uh, 
So this leads to chaos. So um, my brother's team, they go 2-0 down in the first half. One of the goals, apparently, according to my dad, he was about three yards offside and the ref just waved him in anyway. It's on a knife edge in terms of like, the fans. I mean, they're not, there's not many people that go there. I've been up there a couple of times this season. They get maybe a crowd of between, on a good day, it'll be about 80. And on a sort of like an average day when it's raining, it'll be about 25, 30 people. Okay? So this is kicking off big time in the stand. And then you have um, Rothwell, the team that my brother plays for, um, they mount a miraculous comeback at the end of the game. They eventually win 3-2, but not without cause, because um, halfway through the second half, um, no, sorry, uh, towards the end of the second half, um, the equalising goal goes in, and um, the guy who scored it gets immediately started on by one of the lads in uh, <laughs> Twenty-two man brawl. So then there's a, a red card for each. But the person who just scored the equaliser gets sent off along with the guy who started, which I thought was a bit unfair. And afterwards, just after the kickoff, apparently another guy then um, starts on another guy from my brother's team and also gets red carded. The way team as for ended up with nine men. My brother's team, Rothwell, won three to end up with ten men. And the ref, apparently, when, uh, when, he, walked, uh, when he walked in to the, um, the, the sort of like the bit afterwards, the bar afterwards, because obviously it's not like quite a communal thing. Everyone just like sits and has a drink after the game. Apparently, he got what is described as a volley of abuse from both sides <laughs> of the <laughs> he, he, he ruined the game, but also made the game interesting. So, yeah. Oh. You weren't there, I wasn't there, but it just really made me laugh when I heard it. It's just like that is what football is. It just really makes, it just really makes me chuckle. I think about it, just, just trying to ruin everyone Saturday afternoon by being as big a dickhead as he can. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. So that brings an end to this episode of Game Time Extra on Unpopular Opinions. Ryan and Tom, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to anchor.fm slash game time to follow us there. If you want to message us any unpopular opinions or any talking points that you want us to cover on the next pod, gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com or tweet us, gametime underscore podcast on Twitter. But until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.